Så skriver Martin det. I had a good friend that told me, he said there's a, there's a, a, a very, very thin line between what you call an adventure and a catastrophe. <laughs> and we've had a lot of those thin lines. Uh, but uh, our, our life, our marriage, what we've done and what we've experienced has always been a testimony to uh, a great God. Uh, I had a, another friend that said, uh, God always takes care of missionaries and fools, and you guys are in both of those. <laughs> so uh, that's probably true to some degree. Um, one of the odd things about this is when we started out, when I started out, I'd gone through Harding, and of course, you know, at Harding, there was always, oh, if you don't find the right person to marry at Harding, you're never going to find the right person, you know, all of those kinds of things. Went through graduate school in Memphis, and it just seemed like every time I was interested, they weren't, or if they were, I wasn't, and it just never worked out. And so one of the dilemmas I had was I felt called to do missions, and so I finally came to the point, I remember very vividly being out in the middle of a field and I said, well, God, if you're going to use me as a single person, I will go and do that. I'll become Paul. And uh, so I made the decision to go and become part of a work in Guatemala, which was uh, something that just tugged at my heart. I loved it because mainly it was a holistic ministry. It wasn't just our traditional view of evangelism, it was taking care of the whole person, and it was a team effort, which I was very, very much attracted to. Uh, so uh, in September of uh, 1979, I ended up in Guatemala. I remember that was uh, somewhat of an interesting thing because I didn't speak Spanish. And uh, before I had gone to Guatemala, and it was all that, you know, you, you'd kind of travel on, around in a, a balloon, with Americans or English-speaking people and everything. You go to hotels, you see the work and everything else. Well, when I got there the second time, it was like I got dropped off at a family who did not speak English. And it was, uh, I started language school the next day. And the missionary that was my mentor in that process told me, he said, you have to realize that even mentally handicapped people speak a language. So it's not the intelligence, it's just the hard work. You will learn it. Well, if somebody had given me a ticket probably in the first two weeks that I was there to return home, I would have come home, but nobody did. And I was in the middle of nowhere, so I had to. Yeah. And so I went through four months of language. And uh, during that time, Health Talents was the organization that I was working with. We were building the infrastructure. Uh, we had an office in Guatemala City. I was living uh, up in the mountain region in Quetzaltenango. And so I finished my language school. I came to the office, and I walked into the office, and they had just hired a brand-new administrator, and I saw her behind the desk, and she was incredibly beautiful. <laughs> and so 
partly God has this humor. You know, I said, I'll come as a single guy. Well, God said, well, yeah, we'll take care of that. <laughs> so uh, that was 40 years ago. So, so still I, beautiful. Oh, she okay. still is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, in this part of the story, I do um, believe in prayer. Because um, my mother, you know, prayed for me. Well, there were 10 of us, but for some reason, she prayed for me the most. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Uh, she prayed for me the most, and she prayed that I will find, you know, a godly man, you know, to marry. And, uh, and yes, and he did. Um, Steve is answer to my mom's prayer, so and I'm thankful for it. <laughs> Not to hers, but to her mother. Well, you know, I, just, I mean, I, it, was, it was a different stage in my life, and I was, you know, not where I was supposed to be, but. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so uh, I was one of the, the first people out of language school. We, we had a team. It was a fairly large team. I was the first person out of the language school, and they needed me to go to the northern part of Guatemala, which was jungle, and they were actually, in fact, if you look at this picture, the way that they built the first town that we were living in, Las Cruces, was is they took a bulldozer out there and they bulldozed roads. And so on every side of the road, there would, you know, people would start putting up housing and stuff like that, but it wasn't your common housing. Um, and so... Uh, and, of course, we were going to start the clinic uh, May 5th, I believe it was. And uh, so the other thing that they needed was the administrator to go out there and set up all of the office and everything else. So, and she was also doing some of the contracts for the buildings and stuff that we were doing there. So we end up in this community that has no electricity, no water, uh, it's in the middle of the jungle, you've got these full moons, howler monkeys going off, and we're having to walk back and forth to where we ate, which was quite an interesting place in the first place, because the only restaurant they had in town was a barn, and it had a tractor in it, and there would be like six chickens that were on the table, the, they'd chew those off, they'd go over, they'd land on the tractor, and every single day we went, there would be one less chicken. <laughs> so, you know, full moon, howler monkeys in the background, all of those kinds of things. Uh, we spent an awful lot of time together. And uh, we grew close together. May 5th, the day that we opened the clinic, I baptized my wife, my future wife. And... Uh, then we started dating, and uh, so that was May. I proposed to her in July, and we were married in October. So it was pretty fast, <laughs> and it stuck. So that was the good thing. So uh, we were working. It, it went really uh, well, if I can find it without my glasses. There we go. That was Las Cruces. You can see just houses, their thatch roof, poles. One of the things that really attracted me to Magda was the fact that she actually, when she moved there, she's a city girl. I mean, you know, I camped and all of that stuff. That was no big deal for me, but she was a city girl. 
So they put her in a house with the mayor, and he had the only extra room he had was a the mayor's family. The mayor's family, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, the only extra house he had was where he kept the corn that they had harvested. And so she had a bed there, and every night she'd go to bed, and the rats would be running across the bed. And so I thought, oh, that's. She's, she's pretty tough. Maybe, I, maybe this is the person I need. What he did not know is that I have called my mom crying, and I said, I want to go home. I don't want to stay here. And her response was, well, you know, you made a commitment for three months, and so you should, you know, fulfill your commitment and then, you know, come back. So uh, we worked together. The team finally got there. We dated on a motorcycle. That was the only transportation that we had, which was fun. She learned how to drive a motorcycle. and uh, Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> I went on a trip for a month and came back, and she'd been using the motorcycle that I drove. And uh, <laughs> we were out at the motorcycle one day, and... She looked down and she says, what's that lever there? I said, you don't know what that lever is? She said, no. I said, that's the brake. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea motor motorcycles had back brakes. I was just braking with the front ones. God is good. Yeah. <laughs> Take, he takes and of course, holes. I won't even tell the story about when yeah, it was cold <laughs> and she went out and started the motorcycle and a yeah. snake had crawled up and was warming itself on the motor and came up through the tank and she wrecked my motorcycle. Yeah. So motorcycle went one direction. <laughs> this is the clinic that we had. It was pretty primitive, but it functioned well. Uh, and of course, our major form of transportation because the roads were really bad was we used motorcycles. That was the major highway. Uh, to make a phone call, I actually, we had to travel three hours to get to a phone. And uh, so it was, a, it was always an interesting journey, an adventure every time we went into town. And of course, you know, just bulldozing roads, you have a lot of uh, problems during the rainy season and everything. So the romance happened, we got married, and we moved into a house that looks very much like that. I'll even show it to you in a moment. This was our team. Uh, this was, <laughs> that was us in a few earlier years. <laughs> Next. Yeah. And uh, I lucked out because she was a beauty. Uh, and, of course, one of the things that attracted to me was she was not afraid to do anything. <laughs> so, so we got to do a lot of things. Uh, and we got married. We bought us, uh, had a small plot of land. That was our water source and the house behind it. Uh, this was our kitchen. And uh, it, was, it was interesting because the house was probably maybe a maximum of 20 foot by 20 foot. We had dirt floors, thatch roof, pole house. We actually had to put the plastic up because the neighborhood kids had come over and look in the, the house and everything. So it was an interesting uh, period of time. That was a bed for two. Uh, and um, one of the great lessons in life that we learned, we lived in that house for probably six or eight months. And one of the great lessons we learned is it 
doesn't matter what you have as long as you have the basic things of life. What does matter is the relationships that you build. And those are the things that make life worth living. So that was a great lesson for us uh, and uh, was one of the first lessons that we learned. Of course, this was the jungle, so I mean, even the boats were made quite interesting, and lots of times we'd be going down rivers or up rivers in these to do clinics in rural areas, uh, <clears throat> which was always an interesting adventure. Um, and lots of times, I mean, this was an area, I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but there's a new National Geographic uh, show out. Documentary. The documentary, it's called The Lost Treasures of the Mayans. And they have done what they call a LADAR uh, laser thing, removing all of the jungle. And they used to think there was like a million people there. Uh, the LADAR revealed that there were over 60,000 buildings that they have not excavated. And they're estimating now that there was 11 million people there a thousand years ago. <coughs> so it's quite fascinating, and you come across all of that that we were doing in the jungle. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. This was our other house <laughs> that we finally got built. Scale. I won't tell the story about shooting the spider out of the roof because my wife said I'm not going to move in there. And uh, so we had all, me. Yeah, yeah, we had all sorts of interesting kinds of things that that happened, and of course, the wildlife always came up to the house and things. Um, we were there until uh, 1981, September 15th, 1981, we woke up and we found ourselves in the middle of a war. Uh, there were about 200 guerrillas who had come in, they'd been trained, we had heard rumors about this, they were be being trained by people from Cuba, long story, we won't get into that. Uh, and we laid on the floor for two and a half hours while the guerrillas and the soldiers that were in the community fought it out. We had uh, bullets going through the roof. We thought they were going to maybe come house to house because they were throwing grenades and everything. And, and so that was a pretty terrifying period of time. Uh, when it was finally over and the guerrillas left, uh, we all got back at the clinic and from September until November, things just continued to get worse. We tried to work. We had actually worked with uh, seven villages we'd established relationships with and, and churches and clinics. And uh, during that time, five of those seven villages were completely wiped out and burned to the ground. We do not know what happened to the people. Some of them escaped to Mexico. Uh, <clears throat> The final straw for us was in November. Uh, we were actually headed back from the main municipality, coming back to where we lived at, in a bus, in a regular bus. Uh, the gorillas stopped it and actually pulled some of the women off of the bus to go work in the camps. And it got to the point where we just realized, first of all, being Americans and doing this work, we had the problem with the, the soldiers, the Guatemalan soldiers, because they viewed us as being leftist. Uh, we had a problem with the guerrillas because they viewed us as being part of the American support that was going on. And so it got to the point where we were just paralyzed. The villages were burned. We couldn't do anything. So we made a very quick decision 
to leave that area, and we pulled out. The next we, morning. Yeah. <clears throat> the next morning, and we pulled out with two suitcases. That's all we had. You want to add anything? No. How did you travel? Huh? How did you travel? We had pickups, pickups and motorcycles. <laughs> did you have children then? No. 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 So, um, I mean, that was that was kind of a real frustrating thing. We thought we were, you know, going to be there for a long period of time and things, and it just didn't work out. Uh, Guatemala had had 36 years of civil war, and uh, it would, you know, a hot spot would come and just kind of blow up, and then there'd be battles there and then they'd move on and go someplace else. It was kind of a sporadic war, but we seemed to end up in the middle of it. Uh, so at that time, we moved back to the United States. Our supporting congregation there was in Bowling Green. Uh, we have common here. Yeah. Dennis used to be at Bowling Green the same time we were there. And we stayed there for uh, about a year, and then we... Uh, uh, one of the nurses that was being supported uh, f to work with us, uh, Wanda Miles was her name, and she was actually being supported from Otter Creek. And we were looking for support to go back to someplace in Central America. She said, well, why don't you come to Otter Creek? And so she set it up with, some of you know, Frank Maddox. And we had this meeting, and I think it was December we came, and we got here at the old Granny White building, and Frank had forgotten to set up the meeting. <laughs> he was telling us later on that he's, you know, he saw us, and he saw that I had a, a Spanish Bible. And then he remembered, oh, I have a meeting with this couple. So he gathered everyone from the missions committee and said, we have a meeting. <laughs> so anyway, he quickly called them together. We all met, and... Uh, they hired us. That was when Magda was pregnant with our oldest daughter. And uh, so we moved here uh, and spent, uh, actually, it was 1983, and uh, our oldest was born in August, and we moved to Belize, uh, which was the next work that we were doing uh, at, in November. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, we ended up in the middle of Belize, which was really an interesting country. Uh, we had done some scouting and work, and several people from Otter Creek had actually gone with us to look at some different places, and that's how we ended up in Belize. And we had a five-year program uh, teaching malaria prevention. And during that time, we also established three churches. Uh, yes? I think it's important to interject that <clears throat> it was sort of unusual at the time for a missionary to spend time in a congregation that was supporting them and that's when yeah. people really got to know yeah. you and Magda and bonded with you. Yeah. That's true. I think that yeah. was the period of time I'm talking about. It might be a different No, that's no, the period that's, of time you're talking yes, about. Yes. Uh -huh. It's true. One of the funny things that happened with that was uh, with our congregation in Bowling Green uh, they, they kind of made me the youth minister there and uh, I didn't realize all of the, the different issues that were going on. One of those was mixed bathing, they called it. <laughs> and so I'd set up a program where all the kids were going to go to the river. That was not something that went over real well. Uh, or women praying in small groups. Yeah. And uh, so 
the first week we got back here, it was in the summertime. Uh, it was the first time we'd actually gotten established. And uh, I, I can't even remember who it was. I think it was... I don't know. It, it was it was one of the younger families then. They're not young now. Uh, but anyway, they, they walked up and they gave us a note and they said, don't tell anybody about this. And again, it was a pool party that we were invited to. And I was going, Sunday afternoon. Oh, great. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? And of course, uh, we finally decided to go. And of course, the per first person that I saw in the pool was John Rucker. <laughs> so I thought, okay, we can live with this. Yeah. Uh, some of our elders were there. Yeah, some of our Charlie. elders were there. I think it was Charlie. Charlie Armstrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we ended up in Belize. We worked in that project, which was quite fascinating. We had a lot of fun. We had a team there. Uh, I'm probably, or we're probably some of the few people that can say that we've actually been at every single community in Belize. Because we would bring people from Otter Creek and others, and, and of course they speak a Creole, which is connected to English. So we did a lot of training in the villages for malaria prevention, and uh, it was quite successful. Uh, and we were there, did the program. We were wanting to go back to Guatemala eventually, and we finally got to the point where we felt like it would be safe for us to return to Guatemala. We tried to return to the original area that we were, but it was still pretty difficult and hot as far as the warfare that was going on. So we moved back to Belize with Otter Creek's or back to Guatemala City with Otter Creek's blessing, and that was when our was that Sarah or uh, I was Amy. pregnant already with Amy. Yeah. So yeah. We have so that was our third daughter. Uh, that well, was. We, well, in Belize, you know, we used to do a vacation Bible school with some of the churches, and a lot of people, you know, that I see in this room, you know, uh, came to Belize and and help out. I think one. I think I can safely say that during that period of time that we were in Belize, and even a little bit before in Guatemala, over a third of the congregation had come down and visit us on short-term missions, and I think that. Uh, and the fact that we were dealing with a lot of our ministry was to children, so that was probably some of our longevity in the fact that, first of all, it was a high investment in high school kids here and uh, younger, and so they were going down so the parents would be interested, and that was one of the great blessings that we had with having those short-term missions. So Guatemala City, we restarted the Health Talents uh, organization. We were starting to work in Guatemala City. Uh, we worked with a specific congregation there. It was in Zone 12 and uh, worked with them. And then I also, my full-time job was working with Health Talents. And we were going into the slums in Guatemala and doing medical missions, uh, which had some really interesting stories to it because the slums are pretty dangerous. Uh, <clears throat> So we'd do these medical clinics, dental clinics into the, the city, uh, into these real difficult areas that were barely developed. Um, and in the process of doing that, we would, uh, there were a lot of refugees that were coming from the countryside because of the warfare. And they'd land in Guatemala City, they had no money, they had no jobs, they had no uh, financing. Uh, and there were a lot of gangs that were beginning to, to be formed in those areas. 
uh, one of those areas, <clears throat> we had one family come in. Uh, the mother, I think, got typhoid and died. The father was trying to support six children. Six children. <laughs> And uh, we saw a need, so that was when Magda founded an organization called Foundation ABC, which was uh, sponsor child program. Yeah, sp sponsor child program, and uh, that program continues today. I think there's. We're going to talk about yeah. that on another Sunday. She's so. going to talk about that. <laughs> so there's something like 600 children that are supported by that every year. Uh, what's interesting to me about that program is is some of the medical doctors uh, that are working in the clinic down on the coast now were kids in that program. So that's one of the things that we feel like, you know, God did a lot of amazing things in that. You want to talk any more about? No, we, uh, we started the um, hospital down, down on the coast side, you know, what's called Isel Clinic now which is a well-established um, facility where they take, you know, surgeons and medical people every year. I think they do surgeries five times a year, different types of surgeries. So um, we had our family. We were working. I was, I was, I ended up being one of the elders of the church there along with five other Guatemalans. And uh, I shared the pulpit with five other people, so we had rotations, but that was not my main work, which I think was very helpful as far as the congregation goes, because they owned what, what they were doing. But then both of us, she was working in the ABC program, I was working with getting the medical clinics both in, in Guatemala City and on the coast, and we would get up at and leave the house at 6 in the morning. We'd get our kids to school. Uh, we'd be doing our work, and then we'd pick the kids up and usually take them over to one of Magda's sisters for them to stay, and we'd get back to the house at 9 o'clock at night. And uh, we did not realize the wear and tear that that was creating on us and our marriage. Uh, it finally came to a point where it was a crisis where we just kind of drifted apart and uh, it was just a real struggle at that time uh, I got to the point where we both got to the point where we finally called the elders here <clears throat> and told them of the struggles that we were having and uh, we were already at the point of a furlough for coming back so we came uh, well we, were, we had it all planned to come back at a certain time but then I went to the clinic in Guatemala City that we had that wasn't too far from the church and uh, got my car hijacked and I got shot. And so we had kind of this thing of, you know, our family is in crisis and then we have this whole thing with getting shot and everything. And, and so the church has had us come back. And uh, I'll tell you, one of the things that has been amazing to me is just the incredible blessing that Otter Creek's been to our lives. Mm -hmm. The elders uh, knew where we were at spiritually, in marriage, emotionally, and uh, they said, we don't want you to stay here. We're going to send you to Abilene. You're going to get marriage counseling, and you can take some courses while you're there. So we went to Abilene, because they said, if you stay here, you're always going to feel responsible to do something. 
So they sent us to Abilene. And uh, so we went through marriage counseling. Uh, part of that process was we decided that we were doing too much. We had to cut back and start living an, a sane life. And so we decided to leave Health Talents at that time. And the elders uh, decided that they would send us back to Guatemala. So we moved back to Guatemala. We started a new church plant with a bunch of Guatemalans that we'd worked with in the past. One of the things that I thought was really fascinating about that was I remember we were counseling a woman who was having all sorts of family problems. And, of course, we'd been open to the church there about what was going on in our own lives and our own struggles. And I remember her distinctly saying, before I thought you guys always were perfect, but now... I see that you're just messed up like we are, and that made me feel comfortable to come talk to you. So that was one of the beautiful things that happened out of that. You want to say anything? Mm -hmm. no, I mean, uh, it's just, you know, our lives, you know, I wanted to start by saying that our lives have been really everything that God had promised promise us, you know, we have experienced forgiveness, redemption, protection, provision, every single story in our lives, you know, God has been present. So we started a church working with Guatemalans who were very capable in running that too, and uh, come up to 2001, uh, one of the things that Magda was doing, which was an incredibly blessed ministry, was... Uh, the fact that the then president's wife of Guatemala had decided to, that she wanted Bible taught in public schools. And so they contracted, or not contracted, they asked churches to be involved. And so we got involved, especially Magda, of teaching Bible in public schools <coughs> one day a week. And the, that was kind of outside of Guatemala City where we lived. And in that process, it was so successful that we had other schools, including a Catholic school, that uh, invited Magda and a group of ladies to go and teach there. But one of the schools that invited us, we actually had a long debate about because it was an area that was rife with gangs. And we talked about maybe some of the implications of that. Otter Creek actually came down and did a VBS in the school during that time, that was in March, I believe. I don't, I'm, I'm, honestly, I, I don't remember. Yeah, the months, I don't remember. A month later, um, we were, in, this is kind of a, a more rural area, about 20 minutes outside of Guatemala. We were, we'd had a whole bunch of things happen. One of our church ladies, whose husband was involved in sorcery and some other things, uh, contracted cancer and died uh, during that process of just going through the struggle of cancer and everything else. She had two daughters. And we were going to have a funeral. Uh, and we were getting ready to go down to that. I was trying to think about, you know, how do you speak to somebody who's involved in sorcery and, you know, the wife has just died. Before you, <clears throat> before you go there, um, I want to share with you all that you know, before we start going to the other village where we knew that it was, you know, really dangerous, the other women that used to, you know, teach with me, we, you know, we were praying and we said, what are we going to do? You know, we knew that it was risky, but we said, if we don't go to teach these children, who's going to go? 
So, you know, we went in knowing that, you know, there was a risk involved. So long story short, um, I was taking the kids to school and we had a very narrow dirt roads similar to those that you saw. Uh, and uh, there were five men who was pushing a car. They pushed it across the road and I stopped. I'd had three cars stolen at gunpoint, so I was not, it's not like this was something that was too strange to us. So I told the kids just to get out and let them take the car. What I didn't realize was they were actually going to kidnap my youngest child. And so they grabbed her, pulled her into the Subaru, and told me as they started to leave that if we didn't get money, she would never see her again. Uh, one of the interesting things was is one of them actually came back and shot uh, the front tire twice. Uh, and uh, then they took off and my daughters, my other daughters were running back to the house which was still about a quarter of a mile behind us and I looked and the tire hadn't gone flat so I was able to get in the car, go back, pick my kids up, take them up to the, the house and then we started a sequence of calling different places, uh, some connections that we had with the embassy and things. Before, <clears throat> before um, you, you know, got to the house, I, was, I remember receiving a phone call from our oldest daughter, Lisa, and she was crying. She was just hysterical, and I really couldn't understand what she was saying, but I knew that something terrible happened because they had just left. And so all I could picture was, you know, uh, her laying on the ground watching her daddy die. It's so, you know, and then, you know, I was just outside the house. I didn't know what to do. And I felt like it's hard to explain, but I felt this desires to go and start running because I knew that they were nearby. But I felt this powerful source kind of pulling me back. You know, I just couldn't go. I want to go and I couldn't go. And I see the car, our house was is on the top of a hill. And I see the car coming back to the house. And all I could think is, what am I going to do? You know, I, I, I don't think I can drive to the nearest city, you know, with him dying. I was just, you know, struggling. What am I going to do when he comes and pulls, you know, parks in the house, um, the girls, Lisa and, and, Sarah. and Sarah, and a friend of theirs came, you know, out the door and they were just, you know, they were screaming, Mommy, Mommy, they took my baby sister. Mommy, they took my baby sister. And I said, what? I said, Mommy, they kidnapped my baby sister. And it was just like, uh, you know, you can just imagine, you just feel like the whole earth is, you know, coming apart. Why good until the rest of the Story. So um, so he comes in and uh, uh, we call immediately we call the school because the girls went to a Christian school, small Christian school uh, for missionaries and we called them to let them know what happened. And so uh, it was you know before the kids started to come. So as the kids were coming in, the principal you know just gathered everyone and told them you know what was happening and, you know, to pray. So they, all the kids, you know, were praying, and because there were different denominations, um, you know, they're involved, they all start, you know, calling their, you know, offices and emailing them. 
And we heard that, you know, within just a matter of a few minutes, there were thousands and thousands of people all over the world, you know, praying for us. And, and I know that here in Nashville, you know, even uh, Lipscomb, you know, the kids from Otter Creek, uh, you know, they went and gathered, you know, got them out of Otter Creek and then went to, um, um, they went, they got them out of Lipscomb and went to Otter Creek to pray for us. So um, it was, uh, it was very powerful. And we, we were there and uh, just did not know what to do. We called the embassy and uh, told them what was happening. And I just remember, you know, calling them and I get a male voice and I, you know, I told him, I said, I'm a U.S. citizen and my baby had just been kidnapped. And all I hear from him is, says, oh, my gosh, you know, and then just, and it was terrible. And then so <clears throat> they, you know, wanted to talk to him, they talked to him, and then they asked permission for them to tap, you know, our phones because, you know, they knew that they were going to be calling us, the kidnappers, you know, because they were looking for, you know, money. And so they called um, call me um, the first time, and they didn't talk very long, and then they hung up, and then they called me again, and they were asking for $2 million, and we go like, you know, what are we going to do, you know? We're missionaries. We have no money. Uh, $2 million is just nothing. Um, my mother was staying with us, and she was just, um, you know, she was already, you know, um, in her 80s. And um, my mom loved all of her grandkids, but it was a special attachment, you know, with Amy. And I thought I was going to lose my mom the day of a heart attack, you know, as well. So it was very difficult. But um, so we were there. And um, then I get a phone call, you know, the second phone call from the kidnappers. And, uh, and then after that, I get a phone call, and they tell me that it's the police and that they have Amy, that they have rescued Amy. And so I was so confused because just a few minutes ago, you know, I got the phone call from the kidnappers, and I said, I, I just, you know, is, are you sure, you know, you the police? is yes. And so they said, you want to talk to her? So they give the phone to Amy, and, you know, Amy talks to me, and she, you know, starts crying. And um, so then they told us that they were going to give Amy back to us in Antigua, which is not too far from where our house is. And then they call us back and said, no, we're going to do it in San Lucas, which is the small town where we live. And then they call us back and says, no, you know, we're going to do it in Guatemala City. They wanted to do it at the main, you know, police station. They wanted to use this um, opportunity for um, to show their effectiveness. Yeah, yeah, publicity. You know, says, hey, you know, our government is doing something. Um, so, but you know, between all of this, you know, we have called out of Creek, and um, I get a phone call from my good friend Karen, and uh, she she said, do you want me to come? And and I say, yes, please come. And she got on the plane, and she got there, you know, that same afternoon. And um, so, you know, we go to the police station, and um, my brother got there before we did because we had to wait for the U.S. Embassy to send some people to escort us, you know, down to Guatemala City. 
So we get to there, my brother calls me and says, hey, you know, be prepared. There's just television and, you know, just, you know, a lot of people with cameras. And so I go in and there's just, of course, you know, shoveling the microphone, you know, says, you know, what do you want? You know, do you have something to say? Do you have to say I said, I've just, uh, I just praise God that my daughter has been rescued and all I want to do is see, you know, to see her. So we go in there and... Um, so, you know, the girls, um, the other two girls are with us. Uh, no, they are school. No, we took them out. We went by the school and took them out and took uh, them with us. And, you know, we saw Amy. They gave her to us. Um, and then um, the, we had to leave the house. We couldn't stay there, you know, for uh, safety reasons. And Otter Creek was so gracious. And they put us at a nice hotel in Guatemala City where we, you know, kind of stayed. and kind of trying to recuperate. Um, uh, yeah, you can see the picture, you know, it was all over the news, you know, the next day. I really believe that I aged about 10 years within the, you know, that one day. Uh, and then the struggle began, you know, Karen was there too, that we can talk, and I says, what's going on? You know, all these newspapers were saying, oh yeah, you know, she was rescued because she's an American. If he was a Guatemalan, that would have never happened. And so, you know, and I wanted the focus to, we wanted the focus to be on God and what he had done, because there was nothing that anybody else, you know, uh, was um, able, or capable of doing it, because the same day, another child, um, had been, you know, kidnapped, and she did not return to her parents. And so, you know, we wanted, so it became a spiritual warfare, you know, for me, because the more that we tried to glorify God, the more the negative the news came about just because they're Americans. Can I put something right there, though? Yes. That was the first time in my life I had ever seen spiritual warfare played out. I remember you and me standing on the street corner with newspapers in our hands going, this is, this is what we're fighting. And so we sat there, we talked about Ephesians and just how our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. Our fight wasn't against the kidnappers. Our fight was against the powers of evil. Mm -hmm. And that's something she's taught me graciously in so many ways. <clears throat> yeah, I, just, just quickly, I'll... Wrap this up. One of the things that happened was is we had to do a reenactment of it with uh, the police and everything, and so our daughters and us were taken up to the place where they held Amy, and that's actually the building that's up on the top there. But there was a shed there that was a, a tin shed, and they put her down on the ground. And the, when the police rescued her, they actually got lost, and they were going to go by, and the two that were guarding her panicked and started shooting at the police, and the police opened up with machine guns. And so I went in and sat down where she was at, and the entire front of this metal building was, there was at least a couple hundred bullet holes through it, and she was untouched. And we, I can tell you stories about people that called us and said, we saw angels on either side of her, we knew she was safe. I mean, how, what do you deal with that? They called us actually before she was rescued. Yeah, there was uh, this man that called. Um, we got a phone call from this, you know, man that he said that he lives, you know, across, was taking care of some plantation across, and he saw when they took, you know, Emmy out of the car and she was blindfolded when they put her, you know, in this shed. And uh, after she was rescued, you know, we went looking for him to say, you know, thank you for your help, and we couldn't find him. 
We could not find that man. Um, I do believe in angels. I do believe in angels. I believe that, you know, God was with Amy present. Uh, Amy, Amy, at 12 years old, uh, told the kidnappers that they needed to repent and give their life to Jesus because what they were doing was not right. And she talked to him, they talked to them about, you know, just uh, their families, if they had any children. She really uh, got on a conversation with them, you know, just her to charge. And, you know, ask, asking them questions if they were married, if they were not married. And one of them say, yeah, Mary, I have a young child, you know, who uh, has been sick. And, you know, my wife keeps telling me to stop doing this. And, you know, this is the last time I'm going to do it. And so Amy talked to them and called them to repentance. And while we were on this, this mess, my niece's husband call us and he said that he was on his way to his clinic he came back home and he said I have never prayed in my life the way I prayed that day and he said that you know during his prayer he had a vision he said he had a vision of he saw Amy sitting on something he said I can't tell you what but right you know on each side of Amy there were two angels he said and I saw a light a bright light coming in the room where Amy was but at the same time I saw light coming you know you know, from Amy. And uh, I, you know, I believe God was, you know, there with her. She was not, you know, touched, you know, at all. She called them to repentance. And uh, after, you know, she was rescuing the police, you know, they got some of the guys and they went to his house. Sure enough, he had a daughter who was paralyzed, was two years old, who was paralyzed from the waist down. So in that conversation, he was telling <clears throat> some truth. After all of that, we went, we uh, met with, um, um, attorneys in in Guatemala, and they they ask us says, so when did you give the girls training about kidnapping? And we said what? You know says yeah she did exactly what we train every child to do in uh, you know kidnapping. Actually, it wasn't attorneys. It was a security force that deals just with kidnappings. <clears throat> yes. So. And then, you know, through all of that, you know, God was glorified. Some of the year we had to stay a month, you know, to go through all the legal process. And we had people that did not know Christ that came to us and he said, they said, tell me about you, God. And, you know, a lady who was Catholic, but she confessed she was just Catholic by name, you know. Um, we start studying the Bible every time that we went to, you know, sit and wait for the judge, you know, and uh, she was able to read the Bible, you know, all through the Gospels, and God is good. There's so much more to that story, but we're out of time. Uh, all I can say is, is it, was, it was amazing. What was amazing, too, was all of the security people and everything else that kept talking to us about God and their individual lives, and we had PTSD, and we really just wanted to be left alone, and God wouldn't allow that. <laughs> and so finally we just gave up and said, okay, God, if you're going to use this, go with it. And so we were able to witness to a lot of people. Thanks, Wade. We're particularly thankful for Amy. That's right. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.